Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Project Zion podcast. This is Brittany Mangelson, and I'm going to be your host for today. And I have one of my dearest, dearest Community of Christ friends on today to share her story of faith transition into Community of Christ. So this is a fair trade episode uh, with my dear friend, Chandra Brooks. So Chandra, thank you so much for uh, being willing to come on the podcast today and to share your story about what brought you to Community of Christ. Thanks, Brittany. I am excited to be here with you today. So why don't you just give us just a quick, brief overview of who you are, where you live, that kind of stuff. Um, I am in Utah. I attend the Salt Lake Congregation. I am born and raised Utah. I've only ever lived in Utah. I am former Brighamite, you know, good old pioneer stock, trace my roots back to the pioneers coming here originally. And before that, well, depending on which branch of the family you look at, either back to uh, the early formation of the church or to uh, Denmark and England and those parts that got convinced to come over. Yeah, I have that exact same heritage story as well. Yeah, and I've only ever lived in Utah as well. So we are off on a start that understands each other. So this is great. (laughs) So usually with these faith transition stories, I just kind of start wherever uh, you want to start. Usually we talk about what your childhood was like, as far as church attendance, as far as what you knew about God, how active were you in your LDS ward, that kind of thing. So just talk about faith and your formative years growing up. Uh, growing up, I grew up in the current area of the Salt Lake Valley, and it was actually for a long time a pretty tight community. Uh, knew a lot of my neighbors, my parents, very active in the community, fairly active in the church. My dad was a member of the bishopric. My mom had been in primary, primary leader, she had been uh, in the Relief Society presidency. When I, the year that I was turning eight, my dad was my primary teacher. So that was a really unique experience. After I was baptized and had, I had my dad baptize me, much to my disappointment, because I wanted my grandpa to do it. And my dad was not happy about that. So I had to cave in and let my dad do it. And uh, it was probably about a year and a half after that, that my family quit going to church on a regular basis. My mom kind of quit going and then my dad quit going. Uh, My siblings that were at home still for the most part, quit going. 
And I was kind of the one last little bit of a holdout. And even at that, by the time I was middle of fifth grade, I had going. And at that point, it was just pretty much hit and miss into my teen years uh, to the point that by the time I went ahead and signed up to take seminary in ninth grade, I really questioned if there was even a God. So I did a lot of questioning and even though I thought that there might not be a God, I was still praying and saying, you know, if you exist, you have to tell me. You're, you're going to have to be really obvious and blatant about it because otherwise I'm not going to believe one way or the other if God ever exists because only something really blatant is going to prove it to me. And I kept going to seminary and went through my freshman year, went into my sophomore year all the way through. And when I hit my junior year of high school, I just decided, you know what, I'm not taking seminary again. This is stupid. Why should I be learning about a church that I still am not convinced is true? Why should I go to a religion class when I'm not sure God is true or real? And it took being in choir and singing at the LDS Church Administrative Building at 6.30 in the morning, which is way too early for anyone to be singing. But somehow we did that. And I was up at the top of the staircase because I'm short and I was an alto. And I was at the just about the tail end of the outs was there was only one other outs was shorter than me. And so we couldn't even see the director. So we were just going off of the emotion and the feeling of the choir at that point. And we got done and it was just a really, really amazing experience. And as we came down the stairs, we got to meet the LDS church's first presidency, mm-hmm. which was kind of neat. Um, Ezra Taft Benson looked like if you blew on him, he would fall over. He very obviously was quite ill. Uh, Thomas S. Monson, I will always remember him as being very robust and really not looking old at all. As same with uh, Gordon B. Hinckley. And as I shook their hands, shook hands with uh, Monson first and then Ezra Taft Benson. And as I went to shake hands with Gordon B. Hinckley, he all of a sudden, he stopped and he looked at me and he grabbed me and gave me this great big, huge hug. And it just, it caught me off guard. And I was the last, somehow I ended up the last one in the whole line. And he gives me out of 28 students, he gives me this hug. And I'm like, okay. Why is this dude hugging me? Not really cool with this. And he just whispers in my ear and he goes, Jesus loves you. And I thought, oh, this is weird. This is really weird. Why on earth would this person be telling me this thing right now? 
at this moment. And we, we all leave the building and we get into our cars to go back to the school to change into school clothes to go to classes. And I'm in the car with friends that I had grown up with since we were babies. And I'm talking to these two guys and I'm like, hey, since, you know, I was towards the end, since I was at the end of the line there, I didn't see how they were with everyone else. Did anyone else get hugged by anyone? And they're like, no, you were the only one who got hugged. I'm like, okay, that's weird. I'm like, do you know if they were saying anything, but thank you to anyone else? They're like, no. And one of them looked at me, Trevor looked at me and he said, why did, did one of them say something to you? And I said, yeah, one of them did. And he said, what? And I said, he told me Jesus loves me. And he goes, okay, well, why do you think he said that to you? And I go, I don't know. I was hoping you could tell me. And he looked at me and he laughed and his, Trevor's little brother and I are just about four and a half months apart in age. He says, well, when we get to school, find Nephi and talk to him about it. Like, okay, fine. Went to school, talked to Nephi about it. And Nephi and I had sat and talked countless times. I, Nephi was probably the one person who was guaranteed to get me to go to the, the weekday youth activities. And it was more go hang out with friends than anything. But I would talk to him. He knew where I was at with my faith. And so I sat down, I talked to him, I'm like, hey, so this weird thing happened. And he looked at me and he goes, well, I would figure that is a pretty decent answer that God exists. He goes, where is the last place you would expect someone randomly to say that to you when you are questioning all of it? And I go, right there. I go, why out of 28 kids would that be said to me? And he goes, okay. And he goes, now the question is, do you believe the church is true? And I said, no. <laughs> and he looked at me and he laughed and gave me a hug. And he's like, okay. He goes, as long as you have a belief in God, that's all. That's really the basis for everything. He, he was one never to push relig any religion at me. And we just went on with our day from there. And that moment probably did more for my faith, I think, than anything. But it also taught me that if I was really earnest enough and asked the right questions, that an answer would come if I really paid attention to where the answer was coming from, because answers will come in different ways in different places from what you expect. And that's kind of been the basis of everything along my faith journey. What a story. I had not heard that story before. And just, I mean, to be clear, like that's a really unique story. Uh, I know a lot of people that have lived in Utah, myself included, our entire lives, and we don't meet the first presidency like that. Um, church leadership, even in the 80s with Benson, was still pretty behind closed doors and didn't necessarily mingle with folks a whole lot. So to have a unique experience like that, 
to meet all of them and to be pulled aside by Gordon B. Hinckley and be to be told that and then to have a, a friend back at school who I kind of got a kick out of uh, the friend's name being Nephi. I also went to school with a couple of Nephi. <laughs> it's, it's like the most Utah thing ever, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to be able to process that with him and to, you know, be able to have, it sounds like a good social support in your ward and through the youth activities and things. That's just a really interesting and unique, unique story of kind of what brought you back to your LDS community, you know, not necessarily like active. It, well, maybe did you, did you go to church? Like, were you going to church during this time or just mostly like youth activities and stuff? Mostly youth activities. I would show up for church every now and then. Um, typically, I would show up when they'd say, hey, we're, we've got something different that we're doing this Sunday. We want you to come. And I'd show up. Um, it would usually take some convincing, especially when church was at nine o'clock in the morning. It'd be like, come to church. We'll have a soda there for you. They knew how to bribe me. Even back then, it was a Dr. Pepper. I was just uh, going to ask if it was Dr. Pepper. <laughs> yep. I, I mean, I think all the Salt Lake congregation knows that if I'm there without a Dr. Pepper, that someone better be worried. <laughs> yeah, they, they knew even back then. And they knew there was no chance of ever getting me to show up on a fast Sunday because there was no way I was showing up without eating first. Mm. Um, so, but it, I, I really do think I was fortunate in the fact that my ward was kind of this little subdivision that was off in its own little spot. We weren't part of a bigger neighborhood. We were just its own little entity. And we were all just an extremely tight-knit group of friends through the bulk of our high school, up through the bulk of our high school years. It was until halfway through my senior year that we stayed super close. And uh, it, it was actually uh, because of Nephi that we really hate to say it was because of him that we fell apart, but in a way it was, he was, uh, hit by a car and killed oh. and I don't think any of us realized how much he was the key to our group until he was gone and none of us quite knew how to be together without having him as part of us oh I'm so sorry to hear that that is, and, and that happened when you all were young still, when you were in. Yeah, we, we were still in high school. It was wow. right before the end of the first semester in high, of, our, of my senior year of high school. Wow. I'm sorry. That's really tragic. Really yeah. tragic. I, I felt so bad for, not just that it, it happened, not for his not just for his family. He pushed, he was, he and his cousin were crossing a crosswalk. He pushed his cousin out of the way and saved his cousin, which was probably the most him thing to do any 
out of anything, but it was cross, the crosswalk was going from the seminary building over to the high school and early morning seminary had just let out. And so all of the early morning seminary students watched him get hit by a car and killed. Oh my gosh. That is awful. So it, it was something that just, it ripped through our school. Our, the high school just wasn't the same the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah. So can I ask if that impacted your faith at all? Because it, it sounds like your parents at this point were not active. And if you had this friend that was keeping you connected to the community, um, it's not like your parents were making you go or anything. So did Nephi's death then impact the interest that you had in the church or did it ruffle your disbelief in God? I mean, it, it seems like it would be logical for a, a kid to then feel angry towards God or something like that. But did, did that impact it at all? It really didn't simply because I started talking to a lot of classmates who of all things had and in seminary with Nephi had been there the week before the Friday before because he was hit on a Monday Monday morning and the Friday before for whatever reason the teacher had gotten on a weird tangent with the class and had made the comment you know if you were if you knew you were to die you were going to die today who would be ready and Nephi rose his hand or lifted his hand in the air and then told everyone he loved them. And it completely unnerved the teacher. And then when he was hit and killed, the teacher ended up having to take like a month's leave. The teacher could not cope with it. Wow. But I thought if there were, if, if anyone were going to know that they were about to die, it would be him. And he, wow. that's exactly what he would do. He would tell everyone around him that he loved him, mm-hmm. loved him. And to save his cousin Davy would be exactly what he did. And and Davy lived in our ward too. Davy lived just down the street from me. We all, I mean, we all grew up together. And for him to save Davy was just the most perfect, most like him thing to do. He always protected the people around him. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that story that that's tough. And I, um, yeah, I had not heard that story before from you. Um, so did your parents, did they give you any indication of why they had stopped going or did you have conversations about it as a family? Uh, what was the dynamic like with religion in your home at that time? My mom really wouldn't say a whole lot. She just said that she had a lot of issues with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And my dad just kept saying he didn't want to go to church unless my mom was going. Mm-hmm. And years later, after they separated, we finally convinced my dad to start going back to church because we figured it would be good for him. Part of me now seeing how he is and how he's really turned his back 
on my family. Part of me kind of wishes I hadn't encouraged him. And I know that sounds selfish and sounds bad, but I kind of miss the, the guy he was for a long time. But it is what it is at this point. It did some good things for me. It got him out of the house during the divorce. It got him around people and helped him through the depression he was definitely in while, they, while my parents divorced. And that was, that was something he needed. He needed to find community again, and he found it. My mom was, was a whole different story. Once she heard that me and my first husband were going to go through the temple, she sat me down privately and discussed some things about the temple with me and talked about the blood oaths to prepare me. And I was just like, you got to do what? And thankfully that had been removed by the time I went through. I was five or so months pregnant with Carolyn, um, my 25 year old um, at the time. And they claimed that because of how pregnant I was, that none of the sheets they had or the drapes they had would cover me appropriately during the initiatories. So I didn't have one. So I sat there with nothing on. And that felt rather exposed. And we went through the, then we went and did the endowment and I refused to bow my head and say yes to covenant to my husband or whatever that was. I don't even remember what it, the exact line was, but I, I refused it. <laughs> I, I bowed my head and said, no, not yes. And my sister-in-law at the time looked at me, he's like, you can't do that. And I'm like, I did it anyways. <laughs> It, it seemed very wrong. There were certain, certain parts of being within the temple that I did enjoy, but the actual signs and tokens just felt what I, <laughs> what I said to my ex-husband later that day when we drove home. I looked at him and I go, didn't the whole handshake thing Kind of remind you of the whole Gadianton robbers in the Book of Mormon. And he got mad at me. So that from the get-go was kind of how I felt about that. I'm like, it, it just feels, it doesn't feel right. I went to my father-in-law and I said, I need to talk to you. I found out quickly that the, um, my ex-husband's dad was someone I could really go to with questions with my faith. And he said, it's, it's not that you shouldn't ask questions. It's the manner in which you question. You don't question to prove something wrong. You question to find the right answer. And I, I have stuck with that. And so I, I talked to him and I said, 
I have a question that I'm trying to understand about the, the endowment. And we sat down and we talked and he said, why does this bother you so much? And I said, because the secrecy, and I said, it doesn't feel sacred to me. It feels secret. It feels like we're doing something that came from somewhere else. This does not feel of God. And he said, okay, then maybe you need to search and research and understand about the creation of the endowment ceremony. And I think I caught him off guard when I came back to him with a stack of book, books about the Masons. Because he had never seen any of that stuff. He's like, okay. So he, he read everything. And we, we continued to talk even after the divorce from my first husband up until a few months before he passed away last year. We, he was still one that I could still say, Hey, I have a question. And he would say, okay, let's, let's talk it out. That sounds like a beautiful relationship and to have a support through deep, deep questioning like that. Um, so I, I do, I, I want to like repeat some of the stuff you said and put it in context for folks that might not know much about the LDS endowment. Um, <laughs> But it's, you know, it's a, it's a series of rituals. The, the full thing is a series of rituals that every LDS Mormon person has to do before they get sealed to their spouse. So if I'm understanding correctly, you were um, already married. You were already a mom. You were pregnant with your second child, third, third. child. Yes. Third child. <laughs> and um before you get sealed, you have to be endowed. And then before you're endowed, you have to go through the initiatories and the initiatories is where you get your garments, your temple garments. And so, um, it is not, uh, typical that someone is completely unclothed, but it sounds like because you were so pregnant, they claimed, or I mean, I don't know, claimed is, is the right word, but you were not able to be clothed, which which adds a, a whole nother layer of what uh, is already a traumatic experience. It adds a, a whole nother layer of trauma to that experience. And then to go through the endowment and to, well, be told about some things that are no longer in there, but they still actually kind of are there if you know what you're looking for. Um, and it, it has been made very clear that men and women are unequal in the ceremony and that women are supposed to obey, hearken, whatever the word happens to be at any given moment to their husbands. So I'm just trying to affirm that what you experienced was intense and what is often a tricky place for LDS folks in general, um, to go through what you went through in a very atypical manner because you were pregnant, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's it just, this is a lot, like that's a lot. And so to be able to have someone who you feel safe to ask questions to, even though he didn't understand the historical development of the endowment, he was a safe person for you to ask questions to which is really, really important. Um, absolutely important when you are struggling with something and questioning something that you're told to never question. 
It's a big deal. <laughs> I mean, and you had little kids. So when you got sealed, like you were living the Mormon, the Mormon way, right? Like you were, you were trying to raise your kids in the LDS church, I'm assuming that, um, getting to the point of being able to be sealed to your husband took some work. What was that like? Like, what was it like trying to just be the quote unquote, perfect Mormon wife? (laughs) Just to get to the point where we could get a bishop and a state president to say yes and sign the paperwork for us to go to the temple was really difficult. Our oldest daughter was born out of wedlock and we got married when she was about three and a half months old. Uh, It definitely compounded things. And we had been, until we had gotten into the ward we were living in at the time that we were sealed, we had been inactive. We had only started attending church once we had gotten in that ward. And it was, it was not easy. Um, I had some very definite feelings towards tithing that have never changed. I never agreed with paying 10% off the top and then paying all the bills. I've always felt like tithing should come from what is left, you know, giving of your true capacity, not take it off the top. And then hopefully you have enough to pay everything else. And then when you don't, you turn around and ask the church for help. Uh, That has always been backwards to me. And it just puts you in a position where you're depending on the church and it's not right. Spent way too many years of that continuing circle and it, you never seem to get out of it once you get into it. And so for us to get to the point just to be able to go through the temple was There was a lot of fights between me and my ex-husband, a lot of fights. And I honestly have to say, um, probably 95% of them were based around tithing. He was very, very definite about how tithing worked. And the day he told me that we had to pay tithing off of some money that we had received for Christmas, and I melted down over it. Yeah, he he realized that there was a definite difference of viewpoint on tithing there that was going to be very difficult to surmount. Because to me, that was a gift, not a part of our income. And to him, it was part of our income, not just a gift. That's intense. And when you had covenanted, even though it sounds like you did not quite do that (laughs) to, uh, you know, essentially obey him or hearken his counsel. Like the culture is still there, right? Like whether you agree to it or not, um, the culture 
of the family dynamics are still such that, you know, you can't even push back with any hope of equity in your relationship. Because if he's that devoted to, to want to pay tithing on gifts, he's obviously going to what Mormons would say, uh, have unrighteous dominion over you, right? <laughs> and uh, use his position as a priesthood authority in your home against you. Like I'm like, this is, this is a, this is a tragic story, but it's also a predictable one because it happens to so many women particularly right yeah it is and I think what caught him off guard the most is when it came to pretty much everything else I went along with whatever he said except tithing mm, yeah because you have babies to feed <laughs> I did well not just that but you know there was things like hey they need cloaks it's winter yeah. and yeah. they need shoes and you know Sometimes, you know, I needed to wear something more than threadbare clothes. And I, you know, it would be nice to wear clothing that wasn't maternity clothes when I wasn't pregnant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, you know, it just, and he, he would still go out and buy his fishing gear and, and stuff like that. But he was very weird about me spending any money mm. on anything. So he would even question how much the power bill and the gas bill were, but he didn't want to manage the, the checkbook. Mm. He would question everything. And I was like, either take over the finances or don't. But if you're not going to take over the finances, be quiet about them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, it was just this, it was probably... It's like they say, finances can be one of the biggest areas that a couple comes up against. And we did have, for a long time, we had a lot of issues with finances. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, tithing was definitely, we, I don't think we ever truly came to an agreement on tithing. Mm -hmm. Not for a single day of our marriage. Because he would go, we need to pay tithing. And I'd say, no, we need to make sure that the kids have this, this, and this first. Then we can pay tithing. And he, it was just, stayed pretty much that for the full 10 years we were living, living as a married couple. Yeah, yeah. So as you alluded to a couple of times, that marriage ended. And we don't need to, to dwell on that too much, but you know, how, um, how was your faith as your kids were growing up, as you were trying to raise them, um, as your marriage dissolved, like what did, what did faith look like for you through all of this? And then I guess we can jump ahead to, you know, when did your, cause it sounds like your faith has always been in flux and you've always question and you've always, um, you know, pushed against just the, the, the cultural idea within Mormonism to just obey and believe what you're told. Like you've always had a critical thinking mind, but when did that shift into an actual faith transition that you were then willing and interested to look into another faith? So I know that was like a giant question, but 
we can move in that direction. <laughs> so during my divorce, I moved in with my mom and stepdad. They lived out in the Roosevelt area of Utah. And just for a sense of community, I went, started going to church out there. It was just more of a way to get to know some people because I was isolated in a small town. I really didn't know anyone and I just needed to get to know people. And I'm typically a fairly social person. So small town life was not fun for me. Uh, and so church was a way just to, to find community. And I taught Relief Society a little bit. Um, I was a primary teacher for a while. Um, then I looked at the bishop and went, you know, I'm a single mom. Sundays, I don't want to have to teach little kids because my time not working is with kids. Sunday, I want to have a brief little break that's with other adults. And that bishop was really a sweet guy. And he goes, I completely understand and found me a different thing to do. I can't even remember what I was doing after that in the ward, but he was really good about it. Um, he was just really salt of the earth type of person, both him and his wife, just absolutely wonderful people. That he was one that if anyone in the ward lost a job, he put them to work for his company just to make sure that they still had a job because he owned his own business. So that I liked. It was like, oh, you're out of work? Here, come work for me while you're looking for a job somewhere else. Um, so, you know, he good person. And he knew that I struggled with a lot of stuff. He saw, he saw how much I really struggled when the more negative things happened through my divorce and my ex-husband fell into legal issues not involving our divorce. Um, and he saw how that affected me and our children. Uh, and he, more than anything, that bishop let me know that, you know, it's not worrying about being true to any one faith, but about remembering to pray to whoever whatever God I believe in is that it doesn't have to be a Mormon God. It can be whatever God you think is the right God. He's like, I just, I, I don't care who you believe is the right God. Just pray to whoever you think is the right God. And I think it was people like him that helped me stay longer in the Mormon church than anyone else because they gave me that space to be in the fringes and still maintain membership. Um, as I moved back into the Salt Lake Valley from out in Roosevelt, and I came back to a ward that I had been in before with my ex-husband, one that my kids knew had, you know, came back to existing friends. 
I came back to existing friends. I started to realize that it it didn't fit anymore. There, there was not a way to make who I was, how I believed fit into this neat little box anymore. And I struggled. Uh, I ended up being dis, uh, formally disfellowshipped. And then I had a bishop who made it his job to remind me in front of groups of people every time I showed up to church to tell me that I was disfellowshipped and couldn't do anything at church but sit and listen, which was highly embarrassing. I already knew where I stood. I didn't need to be reminded like I was a child. Um, and I finally reached a point where I was like, I don't need this. I need to be where I can hear the teachings of Christ, where I can find peace and find my path. And I reached out to one of my friends from college who I knew attended a Christian church and said, hey, I'm curious about your church. Can, you know, what time are your worship services on Sunday? I'd like to come and bring the kids. And so she let me know and I showed up and for over a year, we attended Granger Christian Church. We are still considered members of record there. Um, and they really were the church that helped me find my, my way to accepting that I really was moving away from the LDS church. And how did that feel? <laughs> uh, it felt really good. It also felt really scary. Uh, it felt scary enough that after a little better than a year, um, I still, I still turned around and went back to the LDS church. It, it was a little too much. Part of what also let me go back to the LDS church is that bishop that felt the need to remind me of everything moved to Utah Valley to, or Utah County. And I felt safe to go back to church, go back to that ward, um, partly because the bishop who was put in was one that I had met through my ex-husband's family back when we were dating in high school. So I had known him for a very long time and I felt comfortable with him. Um, and Dan and I had recently been married and he, he and I had talked about being sealed to each other in the temple, which ended up never happening because no matter how many times I turned in the paperwork to get the sealing canceled, Every time it went to the state president, it got lost. So, 
lost with air quotes or yes just lost? lost with air quotes okay. <laughs> oh that's so frustrating I'm sorry I have no doubt uh, that it was lost with air quotes because the state president and my ex-husband used to be scoutmasters together within that state uh, and we're still friends and I believe are still friends to this day and again, to add some context, the idea that uh, a woman has to be sealed to a man in order to get to the highest level of heaven. And there's definitely um, some sense of ownership, right? When you have a priesthood head, um, a, a priesthood authority in your home, and if he's active and if you're not at this point, or, you know, like you've you've gone to check out another church. I mean, that's a huge social taboo. So just to add some context of like, you're being controlled and manipulated, manipulated in a sense, um, to, to still be sealed to your ex. Um, yeah, which is frustrating to say the least. <laughs> yes. And then I started having kids come out of the closet mm. yes and my second oldest came out and came out that mom I'm gay no I think I'm bisexual no I'm gay no I'm bisexual back and forth between the two could not neither one felt completely accurate to me and I'm looking at this kid going I don't know it just I knew there was something up I just I didn't feel like there was the truth was quite there but I had always sensed that something was different with with him and it wasn't until he had moved moved out and moved out of Utah and had come back to Utah that he came out as transgender. Mm -hmm. And the minute he said, I'm transgender, I went, that's it. That makes perfect sense. Everything just fell into place. And then it was like, it was like, and he's like, well, do you want to know if I'm, I'm straight or or gay or bisexual, or I'm like, I don't care if you're transgender, it makes sense. We're good. <laughs> and that's I the keys to your identity. <laughs> the rest of it, you know, it's great. Whatever you are, whatever else you are is great. Cause you know, now I understand what we have been fighting with for years, trying to figure out what is going on with you. We finally have the missing piece. We, we are good. We're good to go. And then um, my third one, when she came out to me. I know she was expecting some really big, like, oh my gosh, really thing. She came out to me. I went, okay. And she went, that's it. Yeah. Why? You're not surprised? No. Why aren't you surprised? I've known since you were two years old. <laughs> this is Seriously? Yes. Knowing this kiddo, I'm like, yep, I can see how that was. <laughs> Just, yeah, from the time she was like two, I'm looking at her, I'm like, oh, 
how are we going to deal with this with her dad and her dad's family? Because they are so homophobic. This is going to be a rough one. And then when the divorce happened, I thought, well, hopefully we'll be able to deal with it a little bit easier. Still hasn't been the easiest, but yeah. Her dad's family still asks her all the time if she has a boyfriend she's like nope don't like boys <laughs> yeah yeah and having lgbtq kids in the lds church is really really tricky well and and you have more <laughs> i do my youngest sam is sam is their own unique i don't even try to there's not a label there Sam is Sam. Sam is Sam. Sam is sometimes Kai. Sam is their own unique person who I love dearly. Sam's pronouns are she, they. Sam is who Sam chooses to be. And I love the kid. Mm -hmm. So out of four kids born to parents who came from extremely large Mormon families whose parents came from large Mormon families whose grandparents came from yeah generations of large Mormon families we end up with three out of four kids who are in the LGBT community we have our oldest who is cishet uh, her and her husband um, we learned are going to be moving to Nevada, which will be interesting because I know she hates the heat, desperately hates the heat, um, but it's a good career move for him. And they, um, from everything I know, they are LDS. Uh, I do not know how active they are or are not. I know their dad is still active. Their dad has been sealed in the temple to his second, to his current wife. Um, and when their dad decided to marry his wife in the temple or be sealed to his wife in the temple, uh, he got a temple divorce from me. And that, that kind of stung, to be honest. Like I tried for well over two years with that and it didn't happen. He got it in about six weeks. It, it, it kind of, even though I've resigned from the, the LDS church, like, that kind of burned. Yeah, because he could get it probably relatively easily. And when you wanted it, when it was important to you, uh, you weren't able to get that. So, yeah. 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 So how did you find Community of Christ? Ben Kelsey. Ah. I should say my husband found it because of Ben Kelsey. Find yeah. it. Well, if I had realized that the RLDS Church had changed its name 
because I hadn't stayed up on things. Um, since I very first heard about the RLDS church as a kid, I was enamored. Mm. Had to know more about them. Emma always fascinated me. And the fact that she stood up to Brigham, I was just, I loved the fact that she stood up to Brigham. She was just, no, I'm not moving. I'm staying here. And that, I just always loved that that was, that she had done that. And whatever tidbits showed up in the Utah papers about the RLDS church, I just would cut them out, hang on to the clippings as long as I could. Drove my parents nuts. I remember when, uh, or I remember women getting the priesthood and hearing my dad say, the only reason women in the RLDS church are getting the priesthood is because there are no more male descendants to give it to. And that always kind of stuck in my head. And then when the uh, Parliament of World Religions was here a few years back and a bunch of um, the church leadership came to Salt Lake and I mentioned it to someone just kind of offhand and the person I mentioned it to was Locke and Locke burst out laughing and he goes, I'm a descendant. I about died. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what he needed again. He goes, well, I'm a descendant. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> It was just like the best moment ever. And it was funny too, because my dad was still arguing that exact point with me. And I'm like, there are two male descendants. There, there, are, there are still plenty of male descendants. It didn't have, they did not give women the priesthood because there were no male descendants. That is a lie. And it angered my father greatly. Um, he still thinks me wanting priesthood is why I left the Mormon church and it has nothing to do with it. Uh, the the final the final straw was the treatment of the LGBT community and what absolutely solidified it if we hadn't already resigned prior to would have been the November 6th policy um, and that broke my kids my two youngest were absolutely gutted by that. Yeah. So, and just to clarify, we have talked about that a little bit on the podcast before we've mentioned it, but that was the policy in the LDS church that barred children of gay couples from being baptized or blessed or anything like that within the church. And basically I think it at the time it like guaranteed excommunication of LGBTQIA plus couples or families so it was it was devastating yeah I it just I don't know I don't think I I 
I, I know they've changed a lot of that, but it, it's going to be hard for me to, even though I know they've changed some of the wording of it and that it's still going to be a hard one for me to get past because so many people still feel that they shouldn't have changed it. At least people I've come into contact with. But yeah. So by that point, you had been looking into community of Christ and yeah. what were, what were some of your first impressions? Like what, what stuck out to you? Well, once I realized community of Christ and the RLDS church were one and the same, kind of, I say kind of just because RLDS was their path is the past and mm-hmm. community of Christ is who they are now. Um, and really kind of digging in and, and looking at it. Cause once I, we knew the, we knew Ben before they left the LD, before he left the LDS church and when he started coming to community of Christ. And then when they, he, they joined community, community of Christ. And so I started getting curious as to what would the draw was for him to want to go to community of Christ rather than an LDS church. Mm-hmm. And unbeknownst to my husband, I like checking out the website and I'm reading every little thing on the website that I possibly can. And I'm looking up other things about it. And uh, which I think if my husband had realized I was anywhere near as deep into my my faith crisis, as it were, at the time, um, he would have been saying a whole lot more to me. But at that point, I had finally given up trying to get him to go to church. I had quit going to church. I wasn't making kids go to church. I was just like, I had given up. It was just like, I couldn't. I couldn't do it anymore. I was done. And the more I read, and I kept coming back to the worth of all persons. And it just, every time I read it, it was just like, this is, this is truth. That's all that came to every time I, I read through. It's like, this is just truth. There's no other way to put it. And finally, I looked at Dan and I went, ask, ask Ben about services on Sunday. And if Dan could have fallen off the bed, he would have. The bed was shoved up against the wall on his side, so we couldn't fall off it. But if he could have, he would have. Um, he was absolutely shocked and he looked at me and he goes, what do you mean? And I said, I want to go check him out. Let, let's go check him out. Uh, Dan had been check, had been following stuff with Community of Christ for, I don't, I'm honestly, I'm not sure how long, for quite a long time. So he, he had been following it long enough that uh, I guess when the, vote for um, the U.S. church to decide on LGBT ministers, the vote for that was done. He watched as that vote went from no to yes and saw that still happen, go 
so strongly towards yes. And he, he had thought back then that that was a church that he wanted to be a part of, but he knew he couldn't push me one way or another, that it was something I had to come to on my own. So he just sat back and waited. So I think I really kind of caught him off guard because I was very quiet about it because Dan is a very, very persuasive person. And I knew if I said anything, he would persuade me. And I didn't want him to because I knew I would be persuaded. I knew I would just give in and let him talk me into it is more accurate. And so Ben, let us know. He's like, come, you know, this is what time Sunday school is. This is what time worship services are. And so we get all dressed up in our Sunday best, which I think is most people the first week they come. Maybe the first two or three weeks they come. Not a lot of people do much long, much after that. And that's okay. And if you keep doing it after that, that's great if that's how you want to come. Um, we show up all in our Sunday best. And first person we meet in the parking lot is Monica. And we're like, where are the doors that we go in? Because <laughs> we're like, parking lot, those don't look like the doors you go in. Because it's where the preschool entrance is. And she's like, oh, come this way. And she walks us in and everything. And Ben was just shocked that we even, that we were really there and enjoyed the meeting. Sam was the only teenager at the time and was said, well, you can go to Sunday school with the littler kids, or you can join the adults for Sunday school. It's really up to you. And Sam was like, well, I'll just go with the adults and then sat off by herself, um, which was kind of funny. Okay. And worship services came and there's not a whole lot I can honestly say I remember about that first worship service other than I remember you giving the disciples generous response and explaining about it. And you were wearing Brant. He was over a year old, but you were wearing him because when you went to get up, he started screaming. So you threw him in the, in the pack and he quit screaming. And you explained it at, you explained what, what it was and you talked about it being your true capacity, not 10% off the top, but what you can truly afford to give. And that hit me. I was like, that's how I've always thought tithing should be. That's not, uh, that's more what it sounds like in the scriptures, not what it's taught in an LDS work. So that made me really happy that here's this thought I've had in my own head for years and years and years. And here's this young person at, at the front, because to me, you look very young moment especially with this baby on you um <laughs> I thought here she is saying everything that I I feel is is right I was like this is pretty cool and as I sat there 
I, I heard a voice behind me. And I look over my shoulder, but no one was sitting in the pew behind Dan and I. I thought, that's weird. And I hear someone again, and I turn and look back because I'm thinking, is someone in the doorway maybe? What's going on? There is nothing back. Be There's no one back there. We are the furthest back in the sanctuary. There's no one back there. And I hear it a third time. And as I hear it, I hear, fully hear what it says. And it says, you've come home. And I, I realize it's speaking to me, letting me know that I've, this is where I should be. And it just, I was so moved at the moment, like tears came to my eyes. And I thought, oh my gosh, these people are going to turn around and look and see me crying and think I have lost my mind. Um, and Dan's looking, he's like, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm good. Just give me a minute. And he's just thinking I'm so moved by all of it. So, and all I'm thinking is, you know, how can I've been here, you know, one, not even a full complete service and something knows that this is where I'm supposed to be, you know, whether this is for good or whether this is for now, I don't know. But at this point, this is my spiritual home. This is where I'm supposed to be. And so far, you guys are stuck with me. And I'm glad that we're stuck with you. I feel like you're stuck with us. <laughs> how it feels. Uh, but, but really, I mean, I, I do remember when you all were very, very first brand new and feeling like, you know, because we didn't have anything routinely, we had several young, young kids, but we didn't really have any teens at the time. And so to have a family with a teen and with a young adult child come, we were like, Oh, what? you know, <laughs> we weren't, we didn't have a, an established class. And so, um, when that happens, I'm always worried that the family will not feel welcomed or they won't want to stick around, but I'm really glad, uh, that Sam did come to the adult class. And I totally remember them attending every single week. And, you know, I feel like I got to know them really well in, in that class. And, um, it was, it ended up being really good to just kind of meet all of you, uh, at once through class and then, and then worship. So yeah, Ugh, what a, what a journey. So can you talk a little bit then about, I guess, just overall, um, how, or or what you would share to people who are interested in community of Christ or who are seeking? We felt automatically welcome. From, I mean, from that very first moment in the parking lot where we kind of hesitated looking at the building and Monica was just like, hi. I mean, at that moment, it was like, okay, we're not just going to be ignored from right here. You know, Monica walked along with us and talked to us from that that very first moment. Um, I know for us, when we're in the parking lot and we see someone kind of hesitating and looking in the building, we say hello and, you know, is this your first time here? I think all of us that have been going there for a while, we recognize the look of, a, of someone who's been there the first time and we try and speak to them, let them know that, oh, this is where we go and do you have any questions and, you know, try and be open and friendly with them. Um, it is a shock to go in and see that there's 
not a lot of people. Uh, the first week we were there, I think there might have been 20 people total, maybe. That might even be pushing it. Um, I just know that there weren't very many and everyone was just really nice and really friendly. And uh, some were talking, I can't remember. It was Emily and you, and I don't remember who else, was talking about like a woman's gathering later in the week. And I'm like, I'm kind of curious. Can you tell me about that? And you're like, oh, yes, you, you have to be invited. You're welcome to it. And you made sure that I, you guys made sure I had all the information on it. Emily, right then and there, had me added on Facebook and had all the info sent to me. I mean, it was just right away I was made to feel like I was part of the group. Um, and just, just knowing that, I don't know, I guess it didn't, I wasn't so hesitant because it was such a small crowd. It just, I, in a way I kind of knew it wasn't going to be a whole lot of people. And for me, it was just a matter of being able to associate what I knew they used to be called with who they are now and realizing we're in Utah. And so it's naturally going to be a smaller congregation is just kind of how my mind worked with it. When you get out of Utah, I figured you're going to have some, you're going to have those congregations that are going to be larger, um, just like you would with any other church. Um, I've been to other churches in Utah that are not LDS that have quite large congregations. Um, I've been to some that only, you know, they meet and there's like 10 people. Um, so it's just, you want to go in just thinking, you know, however many people's there is just how many people were able to come that day because you never know what is going on with people's lives and some families may have some kind of family event going on because they don't put, they, they've made the choice that, you know, family's what's important this week. So we're doing the family thing, not we're going to go make sure we're at church. And then if there's enough time left in the day, we'll go to the family thing, which honestly, I'd rather that they were with their family if they've got some big family thing going. We'll see them at church the next time. That's okay. They'll be missed, but family is important. And, you know, those bonds are important to build too. Yeah. And I think that not having this expectation, this high, high expectation of attending every Sunday or there's something wrong with you gives people the flexibility and spiritual autonomy uh, to be able to be in charge of their own spiritual life. And, and they don't, they're not like compelled to go to church, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so there is just a lot of people that are in flux, especially here in Utah who are going through a faith transition. So yeah. I, I kind of like to look at it sometimes too, is how my husband gets once in a while. And 
He did this for a long time when we first started coming to Community of Christ. He backed off it for a while, but he's been a little bit more towards it again lately. And it's, oh, hey, it's Sunday. We get to go to church. I'm so excited. Mm. Not a, oh, great, it's Sunday. <laughs> it's so he's, you know, if you can stop and think, you know, oh my gosh, it's Sunday. I get to go to church and I get to spend time in community with the people I like and just enjoy being around people. And if I happen to be irreverent, it's not a big deal because odds are I am not the only one and it's okay. Because I promise you, you're not going to be the only one that's irreverent. If you think you're being the only one irreverent, find me, come sit by me. So I'd like to end these conversations just with a simple, is there anything that you wanted to share that you weren't able to share or just any, any final thoughts about anything that you've shared already? Oh, potlucks are so much fun. They've been so missed. And I know I'm like the weird potluck person. I really do know that. And I've loved doing it and I still love doing it. And I know I'm the weirdo out there that, that's like this. No, but friend, I think that is like what makes you community of Christ because people say they are, it is our uh, next <laughs> sacrament. Yeah, potlucks is another sacrament. <laughs> so well, you totally fit in. <laughs> you think about it though, wherever Jesus was, he sat and he broke bread with people. Mm. So, you know. That's the best form of, of Christ. I, I mean, I, the more I think about it, the more I think, you know, how did Jesus meet people? He met them across the table. So if we're going to meet Christ, we're going to meet him across the table. So those are my favorite Sundays. Even, even if I get ornery because people don't like to stay and help clean up. And I do get ornery about it. Uh, <laughs> I won't lie. <laughs> but I still enjoy it because those are the times where I see connections being made. And that those are the times when friendships deepen. Mm. Absolutely. I agree. And I think that, you know, as you indicated during COVID and not being able to meet physically and not being able to break bread together uh, was something that we missed as a, as a community and as a church at large, it is something that is deeply part of our DNA. And it has been fun to see that be resurrected in our congregation. And just knowing that that is a tradition and a legacy within community of Christ that will absolutely carry on <laughs> through oh, the yeah. congregation with, with your help. So Definitely. We just need to get a few more people to jump on board with it. Yeah. (laughs) It takes a lot. It takes a lot of work. It does. I can't do it all alone. Candy Candy and I can't do it all alone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, friend. Well, thank you so much. And uh, again, thank you for sharing your story. Of course. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use. And while you are there, give us a five-star rating. 
Project Zion podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 